I'm thankful uh, for all the times where I haven't even felt like I had the ability to hang on to him. He's always held on to me, and that's a joy and a great song, wonderful truth. It is good to have you here today. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter number 21. Luke's Gospel chapter number 21. We are uh, in our series on the life of Christ. This is the last message before we get into the final two sermons that Jesus preached. We have, uh, starting next week, a series on the Olivet Discourse, which is predominantly in Matthew 24 and 25. And for all of you eschatology junkies out there, we're going to scratch your itch, okay? And uh, you can go ahead and read Matthew 24 and 25, and you'll see a lot of things about the second coming, about the end of time. And uh, I, I just uh, am looking forward to venturing out into those waters uh, in the next uh, several weeks, leading really up toward the Thanksgiving season. And then, of course, uh, we'll be doing some Christmas messages, and then uh, in the new year, doing a different series, and then we'll pick up the life of Christ uh, uh, somewhere in about the month of February. So the exciting day is coming up, and a lot of great things happen this week. If you, if you haven't had a chance to stop by the table in the lobby out here, there's a little uh, pastry sale, breakfast sale today. All the proceeds for that are going to help our Spanish pastor uh, get here, as I mentioned last Sunday. Uh, thankfully, we found out that he is, uh, their church has found, uh, their, it looks like they found, they're voting today, I guess, uh, they found their, their, their follow, what am I trying to say, the, his successor at their church, and that's really good news, because we don't want a church to be without a pastor, right? And so, uh, so they've got their new pastor, the, that's the good news, the bad news is he's going to start the first week of December, and so Pastor Hector is out of a job on uh, the first week of December, so that's the bad news, but here's the other good news, we're going to pick it up in December now, amen? And so he's going to be here a month early, which basically means uh, we really need to, we, we need to help them with their financial support in the month of uh, December, and that was a non-budgeted item. So what we're going to do is we're going to raise the money, and uh, we're doing little things here and there. The bottom line is we need about $4,000 to make up the difference of what is needed. Some of you could probably help with that. If you want to help with that, just let me know. We don't have to have a bake sale every week. Uh, we could just have somebody write a check, and that would be great. Amen? So, oh, I, didn't, I figured that was the case. I, I didn't think I'd get an amen there, uh, uh, but that's okay. Uh, I know that God will take care of the need. And uh, if we don't have it in special offering, uh, we'll just do it by faith. God will, God will supply the need. So be praying for Hector and Cheryl and their families they come. And uh, that we'll be able to take care of them as the Bible studies get started December and January. And the uh, Spanish church here on our campus gets started uh, in the spring. Exciting days ahead. I, I, I wanted to also preface that I'm in a series because today's message happens to be on giving. And for those of you that are guests... Uh, you may be one of those people that thinks every time I go to a church, uh, they always talk about giving. Well, that's not necessarily true here, uh, but I think two things happen in churches that do a disservice to the subject of giving. Number one, uh, churches never talk about giving, ever. And of course, the problem there is that giving is fundamentally a part of the Christian experience. So if you never have heard about it, maybe you went to church and never talked about it, never expected giving of you, uh, then they've done you a disservice. Uh, secondly, there's obviously abuse in the subject of giving. And that is that some people will use, uh, use their pulpit or their church as an abusive means to always solicit giving at high pressure, fleshly pressure. On the other hand, you can have people that falsely attach health and wealth and prosperity messages to giving equally as wrong. Here's the bottom line. Christians give. 
Christians give because Jesus gave. And it's fundamental to what it means to actually be a Christian. Christians give. And we're going to see in the last week of the life of Christ one of the most extraordinary examples of giving anywhere to be found in the Bible. Luke 21, beginning at verse number 1. The Bible says, and he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. Amen. I want to preach to you this morning on the subject, giving it all. Giving it all. Several years ago, I was made familiar with a missionary to the Middle East, uh, a guy by the name of Edgar Fagali. Back in the 1990s and early 2000s, his name got around a lot of churches. He's still a missionary today, but a, a, a fantastic missionary who is a Middle Eastern man himself and has started churches in the Middle East in some of the most hostile environments, places like Egypt and Iraq and so on and so forth. And... He, in the early days of his ministry, he often would come to the States and go on what we call furloughs or deputation appointments where he would take some rest from his ministry and go seek to raise additional funds from churches. And so one particular weekend, Edgar Fagali was in Houston, Texas, and there in Houston, Texas, he happened to be reporting to a church that I have a couple of friends. My friend actually has his father is a very wealthy businessman, very wealthy businessman, graduated with a business degree and uh, in a Christian college, went out, started working at his very first place of business there about the same time. He was a faithful member of this church there in the, in the city in Texas. He shows up at this missions conference service where Edver, Edgar Fagali was going to be speaking that night. It happened to be that very same day that my friend got his very first bonus at work, his very first promotion. He had made a sales deal, and his, his business had cut him a check that very day for a fairly large amount of money, several thousand dollars. And it was his first bonus. He's in his 20s, just out of college, landed a, a tremendous sale, got a great commission off the sale, shows up that night, Edgar Fagali stands up, and he begins to tell the story of what the mission that he's got going there, and that it was critical to their ministry to be able to purchase a vehicle to pick up kids and families and bring them to church. And as he announced and talked about this bus and what it was needed and where they were going to get it and how they were going to get it, he turned around and then he said, this is how much money we are going to try to raise for this bus. And literally, the amount for the bus was the exact dollar amount to the dollar of the bonus that my friend had received from work. His wife, who played the piano, told me in a breakfast meeting that as soon as he made the announcement of exactly how much it was, she was at the piano, she looked up, down at her husband who was sitting in the second or third row in the center. They didn't even have to say a word. They turned around and signed 
the bonus check over to the church to Edgar Fagali, who was able to buy the bus, who was able to take people to and from church, and scores and scores of people over the years were saved. That was the first gift. I won't tell you the guy's name, I won't tell you who he is or what he does, but I can tell you now, 30 years later, that he's personally one of the wealthiest people that I know. And still, to this day, with colleges and churches and ministries and international missions, sacrificially gives, at first, out of his thousands, but now, out of his millions. That gift that he gave several years ago is, is, is very similar to the gift we see given right here in this text. Among the throngs of worshipers, we're in the last week of Christ. Remember, this is Passover week. Worshipers from all over the world are returning to Jerusalem to worship. During Passover week, Jesus has just finished his sermon about the Pharisees that we looked at last week. And Jesus has preached in the temple. He's announced the woes to the Pharisee. And now, according to uh, verse number, uh, uh, in Mark chapter 12 and verse number 41, he had sat down after he preached opposite of the treasury. So evidently there were benches or seats out in this giving area. And Jesus has just got done teaching and preaching. He's tired, so he goes over and he sits down on these benches. And he can see where they're giving right from where he's setting. History tells us that in this temple there were 13 boxes that were shaped like brass trumpets in the giving area. Each one of them had a narrow top and a wide bottom and you could almost, uh, uh, they didn't have dollar bills during this time, they had coins. And so when you went to give your temple money here you would drop coins in the top and you would hear the clink and the clank from the money. And you can imagine how extravagant it must have been for these wealthy people to come in and dump bags of coins into these coffers and Jesus is watching this. It says in verse number one, he watched the rich people give their, 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 their large gifts, give, of their, uh, uh, give their gifts in the treasury. Again, Mark's gospel uh, tells us that he, he, he saw that people were putting their money into the treasury, rich people giving lots of money. And then the Bible says that he goes and he sees this woman pull up. She's at the same box. She's giving just like the wealthy people gave, but her gift was incredibly different. The wealthy people gave large extravagance of money, made lots of noise, and she, the Bible says, drops in two mites. Haddon Robinson said of this text, the gold medal giver in the New Testament turns out to be a woman who contributed less than a nickel to the offering that day. In fact, in, in Greek, the idea of a mite was literally in that day the word lepta. The word lepta refers to that which is appealing, appealing. This small copper coin was a mere peeling, a fraction of even what a mite was. And a mite, of course, uh, excuse me, a denarius was, was like a day's wage, like a larger measurement of money. A, a lepta, a mite, was just a shaving of that. It was just a fraction of that. In comparison, an absolutely insignificant gift, as it were. And yet, the Bible says that she dropped in her two mites, her two lepta, the peels of money, all that she had to live on. And God is going to exalt and praise this woman's gift 
as a significant contribution. And today, we're going to learn that her sacrificial gift becomes a teaching lesson for all of us. A lesson that we desperately need to learn today. I got to tell you folks, when, when I start looking and evaluating churches and ministries, this is, the, this is typically the way it looks. And I'm glad that our church has a young look to it, okay? I'm glad for all the new young people that are coming. But this is what I know about church. What I know about church is that typically the, the financial backbone of a church is built on people who have been faithfully serving and giving to the Lord's work for years and years and years and years. And oftentimes it is the young families, it is the new marrieds, it is people that are just trying to figure it all out that need to learn that, that, that it's not just part of us that should be carrying the load of the support of God's work. It is in fact all of us that should be carrying the load of God's work. Jesus says, come with me and look. Come into the temple with me and look and see a woman that shows us what giving is all about. And I believe as we look at this text, we'll learn three powerful lessons about giving. First of all, listen very carefully. Jesus sees our giving. Jesus sees our giving. Look again at verse 1. And he looked up and saw the rich. Verse 41 of Mark 12, now Jesus sat opposite the treasury, watch this, and saw how the people put money into the treasury. The Greek word that, that is used there uh, in Mark chapter number 12 about he saw, get this, literally means to gaze. The Greek word is, the, is where we get our English word theater, theater. Jesus sat down and caught a matinee film in the temple that day. And the film that he saw was greater than any film we might see today. This film, in Jesus' mind, should have been more popular than Top Gun Maverick. This film that Jesus Christ watches and observes, in his mind, broke the bank better than that billion-dollar blockbuster. It was a theater. It was a show. Not that she was showing off for anybody, but in Jesus' mind, this was a blockbuster hit. But make no mistake about it, here's the real point. Jesus sees your giving. Jesus sees what you give. He saw that exactly these rich people gave their treasures. And he knew, watch this, exactly what the woman gave. He sees what you give. You can give anonymously. You can give online. <coughs> you can slip something in the box. You cannot give at all. But let me say something very plain to you this morning. You ought to be far less concerned that your pastor knows what you give than you should be concerned about God knowing what you give. It ought to be an extraordinary concern to you to know that you can play the game all you want to. You can look the part all you want to. You can play the Christian game all you want to. You can speak the Christian lingo all you want to. But at the end of the day, Jesus Christ knows who gives? Donald Barnhouse gave an illustration a number of years ago, the old preacher from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and he, he gave a physical illustration while he was preaching a sermon during the offering, which in those days, of course, they were passing the offering plates uh, up and down the pews. During the offering, literally, Donald Barnhouse got down in the, the aisles with the ushers, and when the, when the plate got passed down the aisle, he literally walked behind the plate with the offering plate 
and literally looked at everybody when they dropped the offering in or did not drop it in. And he followed him all the way to the back. And then when he got done and got up to start his sermon, he said these words. He said, if it offended you or bothered you or made you nervous that I, your pastor, saw what you gave, it ought to bother you and make you ten times more nervous that Jesus sees everything you do or do not give. He sees what you give. Watch this. He sees how you give. Did you notice in Mark 12, the language was different? It wasn't just he saw what they gave. Verse number 41 says he saw how they gave. He didn't just see what they gave. He saw how they gave. Uh, I'm not so sure exactly what it meant. Was he talking about their attitude when they gave? Was he talking about the, 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 the fact that maybe some of these rich people were flouting what they gave? I don't know exactly what it means, but I do know... That Jesus is not just concerned with what we give, he's also concerned with how we give it. Is it sacrificial? Is it joyful? Is it regular? Is it meaningful? Is it responsive? Is it reflect my love for Christ? Does it reflect the responsibility and duty with which I am supposed to give? So let's, let's bring it right down here today and ask this simple question. What do you suppose the all-knowing, all-seeing God of the universe expects when he looks at our lives as it relates to giving? And I wrote down three things I think that are absolutely basic A, B, C steps of what it means to give. Let me, let me give you these three steps. What do you think God expects of you as a believer as it relates to giving? Number one, he wants you to give. He wants you to give. No question, no doubt. He wants you to give. He wants you to give regularly. He wants you to give out of what you've been blessed with and given. He wants you to give in calculated, clear responsibility over and over and over again as God has enriched you. He wants you to give. I mean, so you can never, ever, ever wonder again this question Does God want me to give? Answer yes. Absolutely. I mean, there's multiple commandments. I'm not going to spend today quoting the Bible until 1145 today. But how about this one? Give and it shall be given to you. Commandment. Give. And we could debate here all day long about what the New Testament believer is supposed to give. I don't think it's really that difficult. I think when you really boil it down to this, the New Testament uh, forces us into a clarity about at least two things. One. We should give with regularity, and I'll show you in just a minute. And number two, we should give generously. Meaning, based upon how God has enriched us and how God has blessed us should be the response in which we give back to God. He wants wants us to give. Number two, he wants us to give, watch this, as we receive. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 16 verse 1, we are to, on the first day of the week, we are to, we are to lay aside and bring a gift as he prospers. What does that mean? It means this, as income comes in, giving goes out. As money comes in, giving goes out. Now listen folks, I know we don't live in this day anymore. I I realize, I realize that not everybody gives on the first day of the week like, like, like Jesus talked about. Obviously, they did not have text to give there in the first century. Obviously, they did not have online giving. I, I get that. I'm not trying to hold us to some legalistic idea that, that for all time and eternity, everybody had to bring a physical gift on the first day of the week on Sunday. But here is what it means. Here is unquestionably what it means. 
as God prospers you, meaning as you receive pay, how many of y'all are glad you got a job? Can somebody give me an amen, please, real quick? As God has prospered you, as he has given you income, as he has blessed you to live in the most, the most uh, affluent society in the history of the world, as he has enabled you to, come on, pay your rent, uh, get your food, put your kids in a private school, uh, enjoy all the extra nice things like eating out or whatever else we do in life, as he has enabled you and blessed you, here's what he's saying, he's saying, as that takes place, the child of God should be setting aside in a storehouse how God has blessed him in order to give back to God for enriching his life. Hey friend, I don't care if you text to give, I don't care if you e-give, I don't care if you live give, I don't care if you anonymously give, but every time I give, it ought to be me receiving something that God has blessed me with and me giving it back to God in whatever form. And as I do, I say, thank you God that you have blessed me and prospered me and you are worthy of it all. God wants you to give. Period. God wants you to give as you've received. When you are enriched. In fact, Proverbs says it like this. Honor God with your substance and with the first fruit of, here it is, listen, all your increase. All your increase. We don't like that, do we? You ever thought about something like selling a house? Making a hundred thousand dollars? Is that increase? You have to decide. But here's what I know. When I increase, when God blesses me, when God prospers me, I should be consciously setting aside something for the storehouse to take to the house of God, to give back to God as a statement that I believe. You bless me, and here's yours in return. So number one, God, no, no question, God wants us to give. Number two, no question, God wants us to give as we have received. Number three, I love this, he wants you to give where you are fed. He wants you to give where you are fed. How about this, Galatians 6, verse 6, let him who is taught in the word, who's that? Well, that'd be everybody that's being taught the word this morning. You want me to re-quiz you on that? Right, right now, I think there's one person teaching the word, and there's a whole bunch of people receiving the word. Let him who receives the word, let the one who is taught in the word, let the church share with the one that communicates the word in all good things. I give where I'm fed. I give where I'm fed. I give where I'm fed. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says, you don't muzzle the ox, it treads the corn. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says, they that preach the gospel should live, make their living of the gospel. It means that those who are being fed, those who are being ministered to, come on, those whose kids are being cared for, kids are being watched, kids are being taught, the comfortable chairs that they sit in, the place where they worship, the place that prays for them, the man that preaches for them, the, the teachers that care for them, that's the place where I should give. I should give because God wants me to give. I should give as I receive and I should give where I am fed. Jesus sees our giving. What does he see in yours? 
reluctance, faithlessness, hesitation? Or does he see joyful, exuberant, excited, persistent, thankful, giving because of what comes? He sees it. Number two, he evaluates it. Jesus evaluates our giving. Jesus steps to the scene as the divine appraiser. You know, we can look at this gift and, 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 and to the human or naked eye, we're going to look at this gift and say, two, two, little, two little strips of a coin compared to all this wealthy giving. We know who gave more, but I want you to know, Jesus evaluates the cost of the gift to the giver, not just the sum of the gift. Let me run that back one more time. Jesus evaluates the cost of the gift to the giver, not the sum of the gift. You see, some people give what they will never miss. Some people only give what they will never miss. It's the classic song, I think today, the popular song, Buy Dirt, right? I love it. I'm not going to lie to you. It's a great song. And you can judge me for liking that kind of music. That's okay. <clears throat> What's it say? Do what you love. Call it work. Throw a little money in the plate at church. That's the church today. Do what you love. Call it work. Find your little house. Find a girl you like. Buy her a ring. Live your life. Do your thing. Watch your kids grow up. Oh, yeah, and by the way, just throw a little money in the plate of church. Like it's just a little side thing. It's just a little gig. It works out if it doesn't. Hey, I got to tell you, you know what? Uh, I believe that churches are like our lives. Do you have an electric bill every month? Do you have a mortgage payment or a rent payment every month? Do you buy groceries every month? Somebody better help me up here. Do you buy groceries every month? Do you go out to eat every month? Do you buy Starbucks every month? You pay tuition every month. Sure. Sure. You pay water every month. Of course you do. You don't turn those things off or on when you feel like it. Well, my friend, listen, there's electric bills here. There's personnel here. There's water here. There's services here. There's preachers here. There's cleaners here. And it goes on with regularity whether you do or not. So instead of giving what you'll never miss, why don't you stop giving God your leftovers? I mean, say one person in this church makes $500 this week and another person makes $5,000. But both people give $50. Who really gave? That's why this is such a challenge. See, I can pull up the list of people that give and what they give, and I will never know what it really means. You ever thought about that? See, I can look at you, and let's say I do. And I look at this family, and I go, man, they give $100 a week. That's amazing. There's a lot of people that don't give $100 a week, but I'm not measuring what you kept. I'm measuring what you gave. Y'all aren't absorbing this as well as I thought this might go. Actually, it's kind of going about as expected. But you want to know what? Every week I do, I do see who gives. 
And I think it's my responsibility. Because I, I have to appoint leaders in the church. I have to decide who's going to teach in this church. I have to decide who's going to be deacons in this church. People don't do that that don't give. You can't be an example to believers if you don't give. Can't. It's impossible. You know, it blesses my heart every week. Like, they almost every week. I see some of these little kids over here. And I'm marking off. And they're getting an accumulation of $1. When I see somebody like Jeremiah or Jameson or one of these other kids in the church give a dollar, friend, if you are a eight-year-old boy, $1 might as well be 1000 And sad to say, the $1 compared to them, to you, is nothing. But sadly, just accept this for what it is. Some of these kids give more than you guys do. I'd rather crawl in a hole sometimes than have an eight-year-old give me this. Jesus calculated the cost of the gift. He calculated the gift not based upon what was given, but actually what was kept. And then he noticed that one out of the contrast gave a sacrifice. You see, some give what they'll never miss. Others give what they can't even afford. Trusting God to supply the need. The sum of the gift is not as significant as the sacrifice of the gift. Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. In fact, that's when real giving happens. Real giving happens when we lose ourselves. Real giving happens when we, we stop and, and, and make the tough and conscious decisions to adjust what needs to be adjusted in our lifestyles. To reflect a Godward vision. I mean, I, if I haven't been blunt enough, I'll just take it a step further. If I couldn't give because my lifestyle had wedged out my ability to give, then I'm going to change my lifestyle. Yeah, it might mean that the only time I see a restaurant is that, as Dave Ramsey says, when you're in the back washing dishes in the restaurant. But my friend, I'm sorry if a woman can go in and not even know where dinner's going to come from that night because she dropped off her two shavings of a copper coin into the offering box. Jesus tells us, I think we can all dig a little deep here too and give. In fact, that's the last point of the sermon, and I, you're like, thank God for that. So let's get to the last point of the sermon where Jesus challenges our giving. I mean, look, look, at, Mark, look at this. I want you to see this in Mark chapter 12. And you don't have to turn there because I'm going to read it. But Mark chapter 12, which is a parallel passage, it says this. So he called his disciples to himself and said. You know, in, in Luke 21, it just says, he said. And in Luke 21, you don't necessarily know who he said it to. But in Luke, in Mark's gospel, chapter 12, this I think is the whole point, where it really comes down the rubber meets the road for us. So Jesus sees this take place, and then Jesus says, hey, hey, guys, guys, come here, come here, come here, I want to show you something. So right now, I want you to visualize yourself as a disciple being called by Jesus. I mean, Jesus is stunned by this, and Jesus is now calling all of the disciples over and says, here, come here, come here. See this? See what's going on here? And learn a lesson. So the disciples gathered this morning 
at River City Baptist Church. I want you to gather around this story, and I want to give you four challenges concerning giving today. Four challenges. Number one, we should give by faith. Here's the good news, friend. If you're wealthy, thank God for you. If you are wealthy and you can contribute a lot, praise God. Because you can make up the hedge where others can't, and that's a blessing. There are always big givers in church. I'm not saying they're always rich, but I'm saying people who carry the bulk of the weight. That's the way it always is, and we thank God for you. People that can give not just in the 20s or the 50s, but in the hundreds and the thousands each and every month. Thank God for you. Never, ever, ever stop thinking that what you do doesn't matter. But can I say this also to those of us who are poor, underprivileged, don't make a, a lot. Can I say this? You may be out there today feeling like Philip up on the mountainside. After the little boy bought his five loaves and two fishes, you might be looking at God and looking at the church and saying, what are they among so many? But oh, can I remind you of what Jesus does with five loaves and two fishes? He feeds the multitude. It's not your responsibility to figure that out. It's your responsibility to put it in Jesus' hands and let him figure it out. How about this? The man who gives, watch this will always have something to give. Let me run that back so you can calculate that one again. The man who gives will always have something to give. You may think I'm mean for this, and that's fine. People come here asking for money. First thing I ask them, do you give? If you don't give, I can tell you why you're in your mess. And if you don't give, you're going to stay in your mess. Because what you're basically saying right now is I'm so financially irresponsible, I can't take care of myself, so I'm asking you to take care of me. But if even if you would go to first base and do the first and most fundamental thing any financially responsible person should do, which is give, you would always have something to give. Give and it shall be given unto you. God always takes care of those who give. Give by faith. How about this? Give faithfully. The widow's gift dislodges the excuse, well, I'll give when I get enough money. No, you won't. Giving is a mindset. I read the uh, biography of uh, A.C. Green, the great basketball player for Lakers, who is a faithful Christian who had a testimony of, of, of actual morality all through the NBA while most NBA players were out getting HIV during the same stretch of, of years for the Los Angeles Lakers, A.C. Green had the testimony they never slept with a woman. With all that fame and all that hype the Lakers had in the 80s, never, not one time. And you know what? A.C. Green gave the testimony that when he was just a kid as a Christian learning about giving, he started giving tithing when he had $5 and that was it. And this is what he said. Learning how to tithe when you have $5 makes it easier to tithe when you got $5 million. You give faithfully. If you don't give, find out ways to give faithfully when you're poor. You can always be more creative when you have more to give, but right now, give faithfully to the Lord. Give generously to the Lord. The easiest thing for the widow to do was hold off on giving, and no one would have blamed her. All she had was two coins, and she needed them. And I know, look, I've heard it. Look, I, I'm feeling the same thing you guys are feeling. 
You don't want to know what the food bill is at the Sam's house. But it necessitates an entire second full-time job. And, and I mean, the increase is crazy. Look, we're all there. We're all there. So don't act like I'm not feeling what you're feeling. But friend, listen. Our state, our expenses should not determine whether we're generous or not. So we give faith by faith. We give faithfully. We give generously. Finally, we give as a priority. We give first, trusting God for the greater reward. Such a decision that this woman made to opt for obedience, putting her finances in God's hand, showed that she trusted God. And the same is true for us. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe God will supply your need or do you not? It's really simple. My God shall supply all your need. Written to Christians who give. Friend, I'm telling you, if you give and God doesn't take care of you, then God is a liar. Do you believe that God will care for you? Do you think God cares about you? This is not... This is first grade Sunday school quizzing. Do you believe God's going to take care of you? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow. They don't toil. They don't don't spin. Yet God clothes them richer than Solomon in all of his glory. Without even lifting a finger that they don't even have. Consider the fowls of the air. There's not even one sparrow that falls to the ground that God doesn't know about. Are you not much better than they? I tell you, you are. You're a child of God. He has obligated himself to take care of his children. He's adopted you in his family. He's made you a son. He's made you a daughter. Your care is his concern. So what do you do? You turn around and give. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I will change my lifestyle, God. I will be faithful. I will do what you want me to do because I believe that you will take care of me. Just like in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse number 8, whenever the word of the Lord came to Elijah and said, I want you to go to Zarephath. Listen, he says, and there's a widow woman there. She's going to take care of you. So he packed up his bags from the brook of Cherith after the brook dried up and he went to the second source of unusual and unlimited provision. It was a widow woman. He gets to her house, and this is what he says. Bring me a little water and a cup that I may drink, and bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And here's what she says. As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple sticks. I'm going to go prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat, and we may die. You're asking me to give the only thing I've got? Elijah said, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake first. So she went and did as the word of the Lord said. And he said, when you do this, the bin of flour shall not be used up. Come on. And the jar of oil shall not run dry. Is anybody hearing me today? The oil will not go out and the flour will not dry up according to the word of the Lord. So what did she have to do? Believe God. And what did she do? Believe God. And what did she do? Made the cake first. Went ahead and gave. And the Bible says, the bin of the flour was not used up, nor the jar of oil ran dry. And that's after Elijah had stayed in her household and ate at her table for many days. Isn't that ironic? 
she was preserving and reserving. Fearful. I'm not going to have enough. It's not going to work out. And when she put it in God's hand, what did God do? Gave her so much more than she had to start with. But I will tell you today that that's still not the greatest motivation for giving in the Bible. Absolutely not. The greatest motivation for giving in the Bible is Jesus. For God so loved the world that he fundamental to Christianity is somebody had a need and somebody gave. We had the need and Jesus gave. But thankfully on the flip side, God doesn't need you or your gifts. But fundamental to Christianity is an expression of gratitude to the cross, come on, that gave me everything. And if you read 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and I, I, it's a temptation when you preach on giving to say everything there is to say about giving. <laughs> So I took so much out of my notes this morning. But 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is this huge chapter on giving. And do you want to know what the last verse of the chapter is? The last word on giving. The very last verse. All this stuff has been said. Good stuff. The very last verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 13 is this. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What is giving all about? Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Why do I tithe? Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Why would I dig deep and help a Spanish pastor get here a month early when it wasn't in the plan, wasn't in the budget? Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Why would I do anything that I do? Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You may be here today and you may say, what is that gift? It's very simple. God committed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And today he is offering that gift as the greatest gift ever given. And you can receive that gift by opening up your heart like the front door of your house and welcoming Jesus into your life. Because most of us in this room already have that gift, we know that gift, we've received that gift. Is there even any more questions about giving? Let's pray. two questions today. Number one, have you ever received God's inexpressible gift? Do you know for certain today if you were to die that you'd be on your way to heaven? Do you know that? If not, the Bible's very clear. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. His gift, he died for you. He rose again from the dead. Son of God. The greatest gift ever known to mankind was given for you. Today, as I plan to do every Sunday, I want to give you an opportunity to receive that gift. Maybe you're here today and say, preacher, I don't know. I don't know Jesus. I don't know if I died, I'd go to heaven. I don't know that I have that gift, but I want to know. Then right here, right now, you can open up your heart, just like I said, just like the front door of your house right now, and you can accept Christ into your life. And the Bible tells us how. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You pray, ask Jesus to be your Savior. And he says, 
when you do that, you are saved. You'll receive the greatest gift there is to receive. I wonder today, how many of you would say, preacher, I need to do that. I'm not sure if I, I'm not sure about that, but I, but I, I know I need to, I know I want to, there's something in me compelling me to open up my heart and pray and receive Jesus. Well, if that's true, then just right there in your seat, just do that. There's no magic words, there's no magic formula. If there were, God would have said, he would have written out an exact prayer in the Bible, but there's not. There's the clear admonition to pray and receive Christ, ask him to be your Lord and Savior. You could do it something like this, just right there. You could even repeat this if in your heart you believe, you want to follow Christ, you want to trust him, want to have your sins forgiven, want to know that you're on your way to heaven. You can say something like this, dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I cannot get to heaven on my own. But I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for me and rose again. Today I accept him as my only Lord and Savior. Thank you for loving me. And help me not to be ashamed of you. anybody here say preacher I want you to know I just prayed that prayer I meant it glad I did I accepted Jesus as my savior and I, I thank God for that I, I'm thankful for his inexpressible gift today I trusted him preacher I just want you to know that if that's you would you just lift up your hand high enough that I can see it would you let me know God bless you thank you thank you who else anybody else just lift your hand right up amen praise God who else preacher I prayed that prayer a minute glad I did Please remember me in prayer as we close this time. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands about if God's speaking to you about giving. But I would ask you that as we close this service in a worship song, that you would make a commitment to God. If I can help you with anything, if I can pray with you about something, if I can help you with your finances, work through some things to show you demonstrate to you how you can honor God and obey the gospel then let's do that I want to encourage you to respond to this message I'm going to have a worship team come and lead us in one final song of worship let's all stand together if we could if you raise your hand and say man I accepted Christ I'm glad I did there's a couple folks in the back that would love to meet with you and talk with you I'm also here 